The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. And so today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion. So if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is, of course, always respected. So before we got into recovery, many things took a back seat to feeding our addictions. We may have neglected family and friends, done poorly at work, or ignored our health. But in recovery, we realize that it's essential to to learn to listen to that inner voice of conscience and to do the next right thing. Today, we want to talk about how we move from backward priorities to a life of joy using spiritual principle of inner guidance. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of living life with misplaced priorities and then move into the solution of living by inner guidance. After the break, we'll share exactly how we used inner guidance to co-create a life of joy. So Lonnie, looking back, how do you see misplaced priorities in your own life before in your time before recovery? Well, you know, at that point in time, I didn't think anything was misplaced. You know, I, uh, I was doing the deal. I was pursuing the dream. I was lining things up and aiming for my five-year, 10-year goal. And all of that was uh, with the goal of making me happy. And so it was not until things came crashing down and I found myself at 37 years old wondering, is this all there is? That, that I even started looking for some other kind of an answer uh, because it was I had achieved my goals. I had, I had made my money. I had all the, the car, the house, the nice stuff, partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going, well, but, but what's going on? You know, why am I not happy? Because that had been my whole pursuit was to be happy. And when I look back on that, I can see that it, was, um, it wasn't because my priorities were messed up. I didn't believe that at that time. But I can see that since that point in time, I've had an entire overhaul of priorities. You know, I could just 
record and hit play everything that you just said. I feel like I had the exact same experience. Uh, everything seemed fine. You know, they, in fact, really, really good. There were, uh, my life was uh, going very well. And it's honestly, it's only in hindsight that I can look back and see um, these misplaced priorities. And it, this is reminding me, and this always astonishes me, maybe more than anything about any kind of addiction is our our inability to see it at all when we are the one in the middle of it. Uh, and it, that makes it such that, as we both just said, everything seemed great. And in many ways, I mean, I could, I could get a piece of paper and write down all the reasons why everything was great and each thing on there would be true. But it's what's going on underneath that that I can now see, only now can I see in hindsight. So I uh, first started into counseling before I ever got into recovery. I was in counseling about a year, and I was told to start focusing on things I had never really spent any time about. I spent a lot of time with regrets. You know, I, I had a guilty conscience over not doing things I should do or thought I should do or somebody told me I should do, um, you know, and, and feeling like I wasn't adequate in life, um, you know, so my self-esteem took a blow from that. And it, it wasn't until after I actually got into recovery and got somebody for a sponsor that had been through some of the same things that I was giving very specific, tiny instructions. And one of them, for example, was, well, did you send your mom a birthday card? Well, no, it slipped by again. Okay, send a birthday card. Oh, you've got sisters that have birthdays in the same month? Go out and get some cards and get them addressed and get them ready to go in the mail. You know, there were things like that that meant a great deal to somebody else that I just ignored or slid over. You know, I'd, I'd not send anybody a birthday card. Oh, they're my sister. They'll understand. That kind of thing. What comes to mind for me and what I'd put at the top of my notes here is my health. Now, again, that, that from the outside might not look true. Uh, in fact, I, when I think back, I was probably in the the best shape of my life that I'd ever been around 40, uh, which was, you know, five years before I got sober. Uh, but still, in spite of that, in general, um, you know, the amount I was drinking certainly was taking a toll on my health, uh, again, in invisible ways or invisible to me at least. And um, I remember, uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, one time my doctor during a annual physical or whatever, asked me how much I drank, and I actually told him the truth. <laughs> he did not, his jaw about hit the ground. You know, he said, he looked at me and said, that's alcoholic level drinking. And I was like, hey, man, whatever. That's what I do. I don't, I don't feel like an alcoholic. Everything's fine. What are you talking about? Um, so my, you know, my health definitely uh, slipping directly related to alcohol consumption. I also remember, and this is part of the delusion, of course, uh, the, of, of being an active addiction. Um, I was taking a medication right on the bottle. It said, you know, do not take this medication uh, if you're drinking alcohol. And I'm like, that, you know, that, that applies to other people, not to me. It's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, sorry, I'm not going to quit drinking and I'm, and I'm not going to quit taking this medication. So say la vie. My health yeah, yeah, I have very, very similar experiences. I can remember the day that I took one drink with the medication I was on. Nothing happened. 
So <laughs> the next day I took two, nothing happened. And pretty soon I was back up to speed just like I normally was because yep. nothing happened. But I also recall being worried about my health. I knew that I was consuming alcohol to the level that it could be damaging to my health. And I remember having this terribly guilty conscience about it. And it came time for my physical and I had some blood work done. And I, I was a laboratory technologist. And so I knew what the numbers meant. We got the numbers back and they did the liver tests and everything and everything was in the normal range. <laughs> and it was like green light go, there you know, you what I'm doing is not hurting me. And I proceeded to be just, you know, in the middle of my addiction, like I always had been. Yeah, there, there was a time when those lab results started to uh, show issues. But for me, that was pretty late. I mean, things had to get really bad before it started showing up on um, blood tests and whatnot. And I definitely, you know, I'm thinking in the last one to two years of my drinking, the, that liver uh, stuff was definitely going on and my liver was slightly enlarged. And fortunately, that's something that heals. Uh, one thing that comes to mind if I think about... Um, misplaced priorities it just i mean this is stating the obvious in a way straight up too much time spent under the influence and that that would show up in ways like um uh no i don't want to go to a movie slash dinner slash this slash that because i don't want to drive because i've been drinking i'm just going to stay home so it, it instantly put uh limitations on um, what i could do uh, because uh, I don't know why, but just for me, I I was pretty good about not driving under the influence. Now, I know that I did from time to time, but I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, have a couple drinks and hop in the car. I had a friend that as soon as he started drinking more than anything in the whole world, he wanted to hit the highway. Uh, you know, that caused trouble for him in a way that I didn't have because I generally avoided driving. But just too much time under the influence just takes away so the ability to do so many other things. And it's so invisible until I look back at it. You know, I remember being um, a very proud of being independent, you know, and being able to fend for myself and being able to take care of myself and, you know, and guide my own ship and determine my own destination and destiny and all of that kind of thing. And I was stunned after being in a few meetings for a while. I was stunned to find out that I had turned my life over to alcohol and that alcohol, just like you were describing, told me what I was going to do, where I was going to go, who I was going to hang out with you know, how I was going to spend my time, um, how much money I was going to spend. I mean, it, it directed my life. And that's when I started to realize that priorities were misaligned because despite my best intentions to, to um, set, set my, my uh, sights in a particular direction, alcohol said otherwise. It pointed me down a different path entirely. And I was so baffled, I couldn't figure out how that happened because I didn't understand the nature of addiction. I had that same experience, and for most of the time, I completely agreed with alcohol's priorities. It said, we're going to do this. I'm like, cool, let's do that. And it was only, uh, again, near the end. Things got bad quickly. You know, the if I picture a graph or something, a ramp of 
how much trouble drinking was for me. It it's low, 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 and then it starts to climb, and then it starts to climb really fast, especially at the end. Um, one thing I know, looking back, is I neglected things like home repairs comes to mind in particular. I know that because um, we sold that home, the home that we lived in for many years uh, before I got sober. We also lived in. Uh, for some time afterward and we sold that home and you know when you sell a house you gotta go around and figure out all the things that need to be repaired well there were a lot of things that need to be repaired that should have been taken care of three five ten years prior but that's just one of the signs i think or one of the aspects of active addiction is i'm you know if it doesn't have to happen if it's not on fire i got other things to do which you know mainly included uh, drinking related things. An area for me that presented a number of challenges that I did not understand was connected at all to the addiction was finances. You know, I, I did mention how it told me where to spend my money. I used to say, and this will date me, <laughs> I used to say, you know, there's nothing that $10 worth of alcohol won't fix. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, whether it was mowing the lawn or whatever it was, you know, in my life. But, um, you know, I became adept at moving money around, at robbing Peter to pay Paul, to shuffling uh, payments between credit cards, things of that nature, because um, you know that's what I was—that's what I needed to do to support my addiction, and uh, and of course then with my grandiosity and my ideas of what I wanted that would make me happy, you know I overspent, and so I didn't have financial priorities in order at all during this time. Uh, I'm going to record that and hit play right back. It's exactly the same thing. Overspending, not planning wisely financially. Um, one way that that looked, ironically, uh, because I discovered unity before I quit drinking, is that I was practicing abundance principles because I wasn't worried. I was getting the things that I wanted to have, you know, all that manifesting and all that stuff. Well, it ain't, it ain't quite that simple. I know a lot more about that now than I did before. But so now that we know about the challenge of these kinds of misplaced priorities, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that God is everywhere, 100% consistent, available to everyone equally. Kind of like gravity. It's the same for everyone, everywhere, every time. This concept of God is a core tenet of New Thought theology, including unity theology. And this is reflected in unity's first principle, which states, There is only one presence and one power active in the universe and in my life. God the good, omnipotence. So the solution to misplaced priorities is to rely on this God presence for guidance. And using this kind of inner guidance is what we want to focus on today. But inner guidance is different for different people. And we can only share what it's like for us, knowing that you can also find that still small voice within yourselves the same way that it is just right for you. So Dan, do you remember what it was like for you realizing your priorities were misplaced and trying to find this still small voice? Um, I do. And in fact, uh, as I mentioned, um, I, I discovered and was participating in, in unity before I got sober, uh, which in a way I find prescient and very fortunate uh, because when I did get sober, um, I wasn't also faced for the first time with finding a God concept, which I guarantee you 
I would have had a really hard time with if I hadn't uh, discovered the God of unity's understanding, which became the God of my understanding. And so I had some experiences of guidance. The concept, I had never heard of it um, before, um, I guess, about a year before I got sober is when I first encountered that concept of guidance. And anyone who's hung around with me for more than 10 minutes knows that I encountered it in the context of firewalking. Uh, firewalking is the practice of walking barefoot on hot coals and not being burned. It's a spiritual practice. And I learned it with uh, my dear friend, Reverend Edwin Gaines. Anyway, uh, before I knew Edwin, you know, she comes across as a very strange uh, and wonderful, strange, uh, odd lady. And uh, I'm hanging around with her at a workshop and she's talking about this guidance thing related to firewalking. And I got I must have had this look on my face, like when someone's talking about math that you don't understand, like, what? What did you say? What what is she talking about? And so and I asked, you know, I'm like, what what do you what is this guidance? What do you mean? I'm not sure I know what that is. She looked at me and said, You'll know when we're down there by that fire. And and I just like, okay, whatever. Uh, she was absolutely right. I knew exactly what it felt like. Uh, when I was down there at that fire, because what I was asking were the questions that we were instructed to ask in the workshop. I asked the same questions. Now, when I lead firewalk workshops, you know, is this mine to do? Can I do this without being burned? Do I even want to do this? These are the questions that we're turning within to ask and checking and looking for a, a yes response um, to that guidance. And so uh, my experience was we're walking around in a circle around this fire. Uh, I got really annoyed and I finally looked up and right at that moment, a breeze blew through the trees that were right next to where we were. They weren't above us. They were to the side of us. And when I heard the wonderful sound that it made and I felt that breeze on my face, I got this sense of joy that started, you know, deep within and sort of quickly spread everywhere in my body. And I realized that is what it's like for me. And I did walk, and I did not get burned. That's pretty powerful. You know, I, I struggled with this for years. Um, I did, you know, I think that the program for me works from the outside in. And it took me a long time to excavate to the in and get there where I could feel this. So I tried a whole lot of different things. I I tried, fire walking was not one of those. Mm. That was not in my realm or my sphere of, of uh of influencers at that point in time. But I, I tried a variety of different types of um, uh, experiences to have this connection because I was told it was like a connection. And I was really um, put off by sitting in meetings and hearing people say things like, well, God told me this. Well, I was praying this morning and God told me that. And I'm going, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm agnostic and skeptic, you know, skepticism all the way with, with those kind of statements. And it, it kind of made it worse when um, I read in step 11, it, it basically said to watch out for our own rationalization and, um, you know, ability to, to masquerade as guidance, our own self-will, you know, and I'm going, okay, so, so if I can't trust my self-will and I can't trust what I feel or think, and I, and I don't trust the people, how am I going to find this thing? You know, and so for me, it was very much a process of walking down one path and then another and then another and checking within for what feels right to me. That's a great description, because at the end of the day, that's that think that's exactly what it is for everyone. And that's why 
no person can, you can't give this experience to someone. Uh, we can create conditions under which the experience is more likely to arise, which, by the way, is exactly why Edwin does firewalking and why she's done it for decades, is that when she experienced it, she knew that this was a, no pun intended, surefire way to you to quickly figure out what uh, your guidance meant for you. And it's not under duress. It's just under the intensity of the situation. And that's exactly the experience that I had. Um, I just spoke this past Sunday at church. The title of the message was, How Do You Know It's God? And someone had asked me that because I, I know that that truly is um, a potential pitfall on our path. You know, every spiritual path has its tricks and traps and, and ways to fall off and deceptions and all of that. And it's uh, important that we are simply aware of what those might look like given the particular path that we're on. And so on an inward-facing path like unity— that's based on things like inner guidance, uh, focusing on the presence of the divine within, uh, turning within for meditation and prayer, etc. The, the, the traps that we tend to encounter tend to be exactly along those lines that you're sharing uh, about step 11, is that I can begin to think it's all me. It's all about me. This is all about me. And um, that's not true in my experience. But, you know, I'm aware of that and um, can watch for it as I move ahead. Uh, short answer, how do you know it's God? Uh, one is you practice. Uh, I have two short answers and a medium answer. The other short answer is, it's like uh, if someone says, how do you know if you're in love? You'll know. Just, you know, just trust me, wait, you'll know. And the third one is just think about what are the aspects of God? Is God selfish, self-serving, competing with somebody else? No. It's not any of those things. Um, God is peaceful. God is love. God uh, supports other people. God sees the best in everyone. Is that what it feels like? Well, that's probably coming from God then. And that was the next step that I was instructed to take in this search, and that was to organize my life according to spiritual principles, some of which you just mentioned. You know, if God is love, then am I being loving? You know, is this a loving response? If God is kind, am I being kind? If God is supportive, am I being supportive? You know, what are these things, um, you know, that that I attribute to this entity I call God that uh, can I mirror those? You know, and once I ran into unity and found that, you know, I am uh, made in the image and likeness and uh, has a spark of the divine within me that there I should be able to express these things. And so learning to live by spiritual principles really is where my path began toward this inward facing journey. Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful description of, of what this is all about. And, and that's how I that's how I tend to organize my life and think of my life nowadays as well. Um, one way that this guidance shows up in my life now is in, in sort of a casual way. I learned uh, along the way to pause and to take a breath and to kind of do, I think of it as a mini meditation. You know, when you meditate, you, you relax, you focus on your breathing, you release any tension in your body, you turn your focus within, you know, my 
choose a, uh, an idea to focus on, etc. Well, you can also do that really quickly in a single breath with some practice. You just relax, take a breath, turn within, and I learn to kind of feel my way forward in any situation. You know, we also might call this intuition. I think some people have discovered their divine guidance and said, oh, oh, that's intuition. Yeah, right. That's exactly what it can look like um, for some people. So that's kind of in what I'm describing as sort of an informal meditation practice. It's something you can do standing in line at the grocery store, sitting in the car at a stoplight, you know, in between phone calls at work or, or whatever it might be. Just take a breath, um, choose to relax, feel what it feels like to be right here and right now. And it, it, it almost inevitably is very clear to me what is the next right thing to do when I'm willing to do that. You know, I've spoken before how I always have to stop doing something before I can start doing something different. And and this is no different in the, in this case. And that is that I have to stop my racing mind and whatever my uh, knee-jerk reaction is in a situation and remember to take this breath, to remember to take this pause, at which point in time there is an opening in which a new idea can come in, a different idea, one I would not have ever entertained otherwise, something that is not of my own thinking. That's where I find the inspiration, the hunch, the the intuition, what call it whatever you may, that then provides guidance for that next step. But I have to stop the activity that's going on in my brain and in my body in order to make that opportunity present itself. Yeah, you, you need we need to pause and, and intentionally do something, you know, do something different. Just choose. I'm going to shift my focus now. Uh, exactly like that. Um, one thing that's related to that that has been important to me, I realize that having faith that this still small voice, this inner guidance, having faith that it's there is an important part of it because it's the faith that it's there. You know, I believed Edwin before I experienced it myself. I chose to believe what she was saying. I thought, this woman's been doing this for a long time. Um, she probably knows what she's doing. I can just take what she says and accept it and figure out, okay, well, I will find out what it means for me because I almost borrowed her faith. Her, The strength of her conviction is what helped me have faith to, to say, okay, well, it's there. I just don't know what it's like yet, but I'll, I'll find out. You know, I'm willing to show up and find out. And I also realized, and, and this is a little non-intuitive, it took me a while, but sometimes it feels like there, there, nothing is there. You know, there's no answer. I'm not, I don't feel any more after my turning within, like I know what the next right thing is than I did before I do it. Well, if I get nothing, I, what I learned is that means do nothing. Because sometimes, and actually often, um, doing nothing is exactly the next right thing to do. And again, if I'm willing to look in, to look within and to do so in faith, then um, feeling like nothing is happening does not mean it's not working. It may very well mean, well, then do nothing. You know, allow things to change. Take a breath. Let it be okay. So hold that thought because it's time for our short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer or call 816-969-2000. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Liz Dawn, CEO of Celebrate Your Life, has been presenting live events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers for over 23 years. Liz is sharing some of these classic lectures every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on the Celebrate Your Life Hour. Join Liz as she shares memories of working with people like Dr. Wayne Dyer, Caroline Mace, Denise Lynn, and many others. These talks have never been heard on the air before. Listen exclusively on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. 
Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing that experience, uh, you know, pre-recovery of the challenge of living with misplaced priorities in our lives. And also about the solution of finding and living by what we'd call our inner guidance. So Lonnie, now that we know about that challenge of misplaced priorities and the solution of inner guidance, how exactly can we use inner guidance to experience a life of joy? Well, you know, for me, the the first word of that sentence, how, always gives me a clue. H-O-W is the way that I spell it. H for honesty, O for open-mindedness, and W for willingness. And, you know, I have to get honest with myself about where am I exactly? Am I just pretending to be having a practice or am I actually in in deep and really trying to, to do this thing? Um, because, you know, at some point, and I don't know when it happens, but at some point I turned from having to get clean and sober to wanting to be clean and sober. And I had a similar journey with my higher power. Instead of, you know, I was told I had to find a higher power. I had to find guidance. I had to get in touch with my uh, innermost self and, and know what I'm, I need to be doing. And at some point, I turned that corner. Instead of being outer directed in having to do these things, I wanted to do these things. And that started me on that path. You know, we talk a lot about living a life of joy. You know, we read in the uh, program literature about being happy, joyous, and free. And I think joy, I love the word joy because it's it's a, um, I think it's a very apt and powerful description of a way of being in the world that's not particular to any circumstance. It's just a, a way of experiencing or, or a description of an experience of life that can transcend any circumstances, um, any particulars. And so when I talk about a life of joy and I think, well, what does that mean to me? It, it basically comes down to this. In my life, I do what I love to do uh, and I love everything that I do. And if I don't love something, I don't do it. Now, sometimes that uh, functions as kind of an affirmation. It helps me stay on track because maybe I'll find myself doing something and not feeling like I'm loving this. Well, I get to step back and look and say, what's going on? Is it just my attitude that needs to shift? Well, then I can shift my attitude. Is this the kind of thing I don't want to be doing in my life, period? Well, I can. I then need to create a way to live where I'm not doing this thing. But it guides me. So to me, a life of joy means loving what I do and doing what I love. And I have been able to get there um, after after much work and guidance and unity principle. You know, I spent my my early recovery looking for joy in all the wrong places, looking in in all the outside experiences. And it was I don't know. After a while, I was exposed to the idea that joy was this inside thing. I'm not going to say an inside job because, you know, for me, as a project manager, a job has a finish date to it. And what I learned about joy with regard to me is it happens in the moment. It's not something that I can achieve. It's not something, it's not a pinnacle on a mountain that I can can climb and get there and stay there and camp there and live there. I, I have many moments strung together that make for an extended period of joy, but but I get to either make a decision or have an experience one moment at a time. And it's much the same way for me with peace. 
you know, I can choose to be agitated or angry or irritated, or I can, I can in that moment experience the peace that is always there. And using these tools, this inner guidance has helped me to have more of those and more, more frequently and more, more, more closely together. Yeah, I believe that uh, an experience of joy is always a right here and right now experience. There is no such thing as uh, having an experience of joy in the past, in the future. If I'm experiencing joy, that's a sign in a way. It's a sign that my head is where my feet are, that I am right here, right now, that I am practicing uh, sort of a present moment experience. And that takes an inner focus. You know, as, as I learned some time ago and not that long ago, um, the way that we can become present to the moment right now is by focusing our attention on our bodily experience. You know, that's why we say we, quote, turn within. We literally slow down, like you described a few minutes ago, you know, stop whatever the thinking is, choose to turn within and to focus on right here and right now. And I want to share an experience that I had that helped me to learn what that felt like. Um, and this is not firewalking, not again with the firewalking. Uh, this is glass walking. This is walking barefoot on broken glass. So walking barefoot on broken glass is about as opposite of firewalking as you can get. Uh, when you're firewalking, you don't run, but you walk with the intention of getting off the colts on the other side. Uh, the opposite is true when you're uh, walking barefoot on broken glass as a spiritual practice, you know, just, don't just do this at home, guided by someone who's trained and certified. Um, it is one of the slowest things you've ever done. You put, you begin to put one foot down. Your your attention is completely focused on the sensation of the bottom of your foot with good reason. You, you, you want to make darn sure that you're in touch with what's going on on the bottom of your foot. And so, in slow-mo, the experience is you begin to place your foot uh, lightly on top of the glass. You feel if there's anything pokey or whatever, lift, scoot your foot over, knock that piece of glass over, um, do something to change your experience, but you're so focused on what's going on. You shift your weight slowly, 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 slowly. And then at some point, all of your weight is on that foot. And you're like, oh, I'm okay. Oh my gosh. So repeat next foot, gingerly put it down, scoot around, pick a different spot, knock over a, a pointy piece, whatever it is you got to do, slowly shift your weight. Oh my gosh, that will teach anyone what it's like to be right here and right now. I guarantee you are not thinking about the electric bill. You're not thinking about what's in your fridge and what you need to get at the grocery store. You're not thinking about anything except what does the bottom of my foot feel like? And, and that's a present moment experience. And that in itself, I believe, at the end of the day, simply having a 100% present moment experience is joy. And I believe that is, uh, for me, 100% correct. If I can stay in the moment, I have joy. You know, I mentioned the how tool. Open-mindedness was one of uh, the tools that I had to use because what I was doing wasn't working. And so glass walking, what? <laughs> Fire walking, what? <laughs> you know, I had to... Um, I won't even say get over my preconceived notions because in some cases I had never even heard of them, you know, and I had to be willing to experiment. That's just been what my path has been like. I, I didn't pick up one tool or one practice and have it 
uh, immediately give me this experience. And I don't know if it's, I'm looking too hard or in the wrong places or what, but so I went through this whole series of things. One of the things that I tried was um, the Native American sweat lodge, you know, and, and yet my mind could wander sitting in the dark, looking at the coals, listening to the chanting, and yet my mind can wander. I could not keep it focused and still. And so those, um, I do believe that, that that's a, a piece of the practice for me that is essential is something I can focus on that will keep my mind focused and still. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. And even though I've had some of these particular intense experiences, it's not as if you know, I, I came into the present moment when I was walking on glass and stayed there for the rest of my life. No, I did not. But I learned what it felt like. And so I could more easily find my way back. And that is what, has you know, life had become um, over time is a realization, okay, it is there. I know this is true. I know I can find it. I know I can be guided to it. Well, if I'm not in it now, you know, if I even have the presence of mind to ask that, because sometimes I'm just, you know, so in whatever I'm concerned about that I, I'm not even asking, you know, what could I do differently to have a different experience? But when I am, it's a matter of uh, finding a way to return. So, for example, uh, I do several things in life. One of them I call my, quote, work. I do computer work. Um, in my work life, it, you know, there can be conflicting priorities a lot. Uh, I've got different people who want different things and everyone wants it all yesterday and for free. And Simply, that can be stressful. So simply determining, uh, you know, what is the next right thing to do just right here, you know, with these work tasks. Forget about my entire life or, or whatever. Um, and I find that I can use that inner guidance principle, that take a breath, relax, turn within, um, sort of let everything go for a minute. And then out of that, it just becomes clear, like, oh, of course I should do this first. And then let go and just do that. So that's a that's a practical way this shows up. I mean, you don't have to walk on fire, walk on broken glass and do all that kind of crazy stuff that we do sometimes at workshops. Um, I can just take a breath. It could be as mundane as, uh, you know, what do I want to have for dinner? You know, you make a really good point about that. You know, many of us uh, have this committee that lives inside our heads and our committee has opinions and you know is sometimes not shy about making those known and it can be hard it can be difficult to discern uh, the next right thing or what is the guidance and when you when you learn what it feels like it's a lot easier to find your way back to that place and and that's what happened for me um, when i was diagnosed with cancer um, at about a year and a half clean i thought, oh my gosh, I got to find a higher power, you know? Well, I didn't, I didn't know what that was, but I was, um, I was trying and I was practicing and there was a book that opened my eyes and it was, um, Bernie Siegel's Love Medicine and Miracles book. And he talked about without naming it, the metaphysics of spirituality, he talked about it and he talked about, uh, visualization as a tool for healing. And he talked about some other things in there that, allowed me to use my downtime because I was bedridden for a while and I was, you know, out of work and unable to function practically for about two and a half years. And in that time frame, I learned how to uh, rest in this zone 
how to feel my body in this zone, to put my mind in this zone. It wasn't a free-floating zone, but it was with purpose. And it was before I had, had met unity to understand that what I was doing was entering into a place of silence. Um, and I did not use the same process that unity's process is for entering into the silence. But what I noticed was that later in the day when I would be uh, fully around again, up and awake and all of that kind of thing, I had answers I didn't have earlier in the day. I had these intuitive ideas. I had these these brand new concepts, these, these uh, options, these choices that I had never even uh, thought of before. Yeah, I, I, I call that, that's kind of the creativity of God that shows up when we allow it to, but learning to allow it to can, can be uh, a bit of a long road. Another thing I do in, in my life that I love to do is I teach. So I teach Unity Ministerial students at UWSI, Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute. And by the way, anyone can take classes there. So if you're listening to this, you too can take a class at Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute. Um, one, re one way that I use uh, guidance to create joy is by um, using my intuition in, in the you know, in the class setting, we, we don't physically together, but we get together over a, a video chat once a week, usually for two hours, and, and using intuition to create a healing and joyful space. Um, there are a few things that I do uh, to facilitate that, that have come to me, you know, from guidance, from instinct. One is I don't record the classes. You know, in, in today's technical world, everyone wants everything recorded. Well, what if I miss a class? I can go back and listen to the recording. You can't hit play on an experience. You were either there participating in it or you weren't. And I'm an outlier on this and I'm on the wrong side of UWSI's guidelines, I know. But I refuse to record the classes because we are here to tell the truth about what's going on. We, we call ourselves um, truth students, which I think is a great uh, descriptor. Well, if we're truth students, we need to set aside whatever we think our you know, unity political correctness might be and tell the truth about what's going on. And one way that we can do that is by making that okay. And one way we make it okay is I do it myself, I model it, and we don't record the class. So no one is going to go back and listen to the goofy thing that you just said. So I use my intuition to create an environment uh, in, a, in the classroom that, that's it's a joyful, um, you know, healing and supportive and loving kind of environment. I'm not sure that too much more can be said about creating environments because, as you mentioned earlier, creating the circumstances or the environment in which an experience can occur is critical, you know, and, and amongst those are safety. Um, you know, most of us entered into the program and entered into recovery full of fear, you know, full of fear and unable to share and with no idea about how to be emotionally intimate with somebody else or to take chances or to be vulnerable. And when we can create um, a, a a circumstance of safety where people are free to share who they are and what they think and have a dialogue about that, I think that that's where growth comes from. And um, I have that same experience with the people that I work with in, in one of the um, housing situations that I that I work with. Those uh, those women have never run into a unity principle. They've never run into, you know, they're just brand new, clean and sober. They are they are uh, beginners on their path and. 
suspicious of everybody and everything and creating a, a, an environment that is warm and inviting and uh, safe feeling is critical to their spiritual growth as it was to mine. Yeah, the, the, uh, I'm so grateful for the experiences I had where somebody was creating that kind of safety because I, it, I didn't, it's not that I would have thought of myself as feeling unsafe in the world um, at the time, but I think that I did. And I didn't know what it was like to be in a group of people where that safety was well established at the beginning. You know, that's the idea behind things like, that we call heart agreements. Um, they don't magically create safety, but they, they can, and they're an important part of creating safety is, you know, we all agree that we tell the truth that we, you know, set aside our act and that everything that gets said here stays here and all that kind of stuff. So I use it, uh, another way that I use, um, you know, this inner guidance to create joy is, is similar to the teaching thing. But so another thing I do in life is church. I pastor Unity of Augusta Church. And I use my inner guidance in leading the church, everything from uh, topics for Sunday messages to how to respond to uh, conflicts or uh, challenges that come up, whether something breaks or someone's upset or, or whatever it might be, and to simply as a way to be present for others. You know, we talked about how present moment experience is joy. And when we talk about turning within to follow our guidance, we are seeking uh, the present moment and, and remembering what it's like to be in that place. And when I'm in that place, I, it's so easy to be present for others, which creates uh, an experience of joy, I think, for everyone involved, because people feel heard. Uh, they feel appreciated. They they're, they feel seen, and all those things that I'm so grateful to the teachers I've had in my life who created those situations for me. That that's a way I can give back. You know, one of the ways that works for me is uh, I'm reminded that there's a line in our literature that it says the theme of the twelfth step is the joy of living. And, of course, the spiritual principle underneath the 12th step is service. Mm. And that is a major way that I found an, a doorway into a life of joy is through service. Now, somebody told me when I came into the program that the initials AA stood for attitude adjustment. <laughs> and, and I had to have one. I needed one uh, on the way in. It was always what's in it for me instead of what can I do for you. And, uh, and I've talked before in other shows about untangling that from codependency and, and things of that nature. But when learning to be of service, learning to show up, suit up and show up to, to, to see the opportunities to serve another, not to do it for them, not to rescue them, you know, and all the dysfunctional aspects of that, but to truly be of service. And that has been um, a doorway for me. And when I feel like joy is lacking in my life, I can always find some place or somebody to be of service to. Yeah, that's one of the most helpful and powerful suggestions that I remember ever being given is, what have you done for other people lately, you know, in the last 24 to 48 hours? Um, if I am feeling all wound up in some kind of anxiety, fear, complaining about a situation, uh, that's a very good question to ask. What have I done for other people? Uh, not for myself, like you described, 
um, not for any particular outcome, but just to simply practice being in the world and being of service. And, and that alone can, you know, usually it, it almost always will knock down whatever the anxiety is, 60%, 80%. Sometimes it's enough to get out of it completely. Uh, One way that I've learned to use guidance to uh, co-create a life of joy is, is learning to move away from outcomes and into processes which is just sort of other words for saying how to uh, live in the present moment. So I feel like I spent most of my life focused on outcomes. You know, we get talk, we talk about um, seeking goals and achieving things. And that, that, that tended in me to make my mind go out to the end point, you know, to where I wanted to be, which was not where I was now. Um, And so along the way, I learned to move away from that and move more into the process, you know, the the process of becoming. We say life is a journey, not a destination. That that saying encapsulates this. Again, it's another way of saying uh, live in the present moment. Get your head where your feet are. Um, Be right here right now. Wasn't that the Ram Dass book? Be here now. That's all what it all comes what it all comes down to. And so another expression of that is learning to take my focus off of outcomes and move my focus onto right here, right now. What's the next right thing? What's the, what's the process? Where I am? Where am I in that process? And therefore, what is the next thing to do? You know, one of my, my uh, assignments was to borrow a child. I have no children. Hmm. I was told to borrow a four-year-old. And, and watch them. They, ha- they don't have long-term goals. They are fully centered in the moment and learn to be like that. And, and that was actually a really tough type of, of uh, assignment for me to do, but it, it helped me to see what does this look like? And then I had to learn what does this feel like? And you know, I found that focusing on my body, as you talked about earlier, the breath or what have you, really um, helped with that. What am I feeling? You know, where am I feeling that? And I learned that once I focused on my breath, I could then focus on my heartbeat. And so today, within oh, a few seconds, I can go from whatever's going on to focused on my heartbeat and feel it beating on the inside of my chest wall and be centered and quiet and present, which is, it gives me that peace and that joy that I'm looking for. I love that. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've encountered that. You may have said it before. Maybe I didn't hear it. That moving from the breath to the heartbeat. I love that. I'm going to start doing it. Um, here's my my final comment on uh, creating a life of joy with guidance. is just knowing knowing that all is well, regardless of appearances. That's very easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. I found it easier to do uh, as I learned and practiced and implemented some of these other things um, that we've been talking about. But just, again, and that's really a statement of faith. You know, knowing that, okay, the guidance is there, Um, God is present always for everyone, every circumstance, always the same everywhere, um, et cetera, that that new thought God concept. And just know that all is well. I I just can't see it at this moment. Uh, Whatever's going on that I'm worried about, it's going to change. But now let us move into action because unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. 
So here's something you can do to move from misplaced priorities to a life of joy using your inner guidance. Think of a place in your life where your priorities may be misplaced today. Do you work too much and leave no time for friends or family or rest and relaxation? Or do you approach everything in life asking, quote, what's in it for me? Perhaps you'd like to do more for others. Or maybe you just have a sense of being out of balance in some way that you just can't quite name. What's important is to pick one thing, preferably something simple to focus on in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to let it be easy, to know that there's no need to struggle. And you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So as an example, let's use that feeling generally out of balance but not knowing exactly why. Use a statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to these uneven priorities. You could say something like, feeling unbalanced in my life is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head, or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Feeling unbalanced in my life is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I claim for myself the perfect balance of God, looking within for the guidance that leads me there. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. You don't have to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Feeling unbalanced in my life is not the truth of who I am. I claim for myself the perfect balance of God, looking within for the guidance that leads me there. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.